Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. Okay, so the purpose of this new series, the title of it's Gifted, and the purpose of it is, is that we really feel God is putting it on our hearts to grow together as a community in our understanding and knowing that we are all deeply gifted. Not because of things that we do, but it's who we are. We are gifted. And truly, all of us need to grow in this in some degree. I think some of us maybe already believe it quite a lot, but I think it's a continuous journey. And so we really are, when I say all of us, we feel like God wants all of us to grow in our understanding of this. Um, so when we say gifted, um, we're meaning it in kind of two ways. One is that in the kingdom, we believe that we are gifted based on just the unique way God has designed each of us individually, right? Like our personalities, our temperaments, our skills, that whole package of the way God wonderfully and fearfully knitted you together in your mother's womb, that all of that together makes you gifted. But we are also gifted as in given by God to the world to show his glory. So there's two parts to our giftedness. It's who we are in terms of how we are designed, and it's who we are in terms of how we are given to the world for God's glory. Genesis 127. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So from the very beginning, humankind, all of humankind, every single person has been made in the image of God. That means every single person, not some, all. Every human has been made in the image of God. And one of the phrases we often hear now is that we are image bearers, that we bear his image. And that really is true of every single person. Whether they're following Jesus or not, they have been created in the image of God. So I have a question. If all of us are created in the image of God, why, and this is from a biblical perspective, why is the world so messed up? You can just shout it out. Sin, yeah, what was the other one? Satan, Satan. yeah, sin and Satan. That's a good summary. Yeah, and the, you know, the religious term is the fall happens, right? Which sin and Satan created the fall. Um, but before that fall, what was life like? Like, where, where did humans dwell before the fall, before sin and Satan? That's right, Naomi, the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, things were really great. There was just so much um, of God's love available and present, and there had never been sin. So there was no shame, and there was no fear. So Adam and Eve could just go about their lives being fully themselves, just kind of vibing with God in the garden, just doing gardeny things, and it was how they lived. But like you said, there was something changed that, and that was the fall. That's, you know, when they decided to turn from God, 
when they decided to turn toward what Satan was offering and, and turn from God. At that moment, when they turned from God, when they ate the fruit, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Then the Lord God called to the men, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman that you gave me, who gave me the fruit, and I I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied, and that's why I ate it. So when Adam and Eve participated in turning from God and eating this fruit, they exchanged that freedom, that kind of what we would maybe call bliss, of living fully themselves in the presence of God, they exchanged that freedom for shame and fear. It happened instantly, shame and fear. And instead of being just motivated by being image bearers, they are now motivated by self-protection. So right away, they're blaming God. This is, you made her. (laughs) That's where the problem started, you know. Or, you know, she made me eat it. It wasn't my fault. And Eve is like, well, it was the serpent. So right away, right, you can see the self-protection that's entered and that the dynamic is very different. And I would say that it's still pretty clear, right? They're still human, so they're still made in the image of God. Um, But in this moment, they lost their capacity to actually live as image bearers, right? They retained their image bearingness, but lost their capacity to actually live as image bearers. But thank God that God is who he is. And also, simultaneously at this moment that all this went down, God was already setting his plan in motion. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So can anybody tell me who the offspring is that crushes the serpent's head? Jesus. That's right. I love Jesus so much. Um, Hold on. Jesus. God's son, fully man, fully God, comes into the world, suffers for us, dies for us, rises for us. Not simply to wash us of our sins, that's significant, but that's small in comparison to the magnificence of what he does. When he rises from the dead for us, he allows us to have our capacity to live as image bearers restored so that the first time we can truly have the capacity to live as we were designed to be. So when we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God rose him from the dead, we are saved. And when we are saved, 
we become indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We become indwelled by the presence of God. And his presence in us and with us restores our capacity to be image bearers. Now, in that moment, when, those hap- when that happens, I kind of n- narrowed it down to what I would say two, two things happen in that moment. The Holy Spirit, the moment you believe, the moment you surrender, decide to give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit sets us on a transforming journey to become who God designed us to be. It starts that very moment. He begins to do the work to transform you, to make you who you are designed to be. And by that, I mean what I would call our truest self. The self that we are at our very, very core before the hardships of life, sins, wounds, lies, damages, all the things that distort who we really are, distort our ability to see who we really are, to live out who we really are. That transformational journey starts that moment. And the second thing that happens is we are given the vocation of full-time ministry. That moment, the moment you say, Jesus, I cannot do this life without you. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I need your help. That moment, you are put in to full-time ministry. First Peter 2.19 But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. I'm going to read it again. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So if you have given your life to Jesus, this is you. So do you get what that means? Take a moment to think about it and take in what that means, the significance of that. For me, I think it means that regardless of your race, your gender, your age, whether you have a degree, whether you are tall, whether you are talkative, whether you are really awkward, whatever you are, if you've given your life to Jesus, you have now received the vocation, the calling, the purpose of full-time minister. I believe it means that if you work in finance, or if you work in medical field, or you're a teacher, or you fix things, or you build things, or produce things, if you're retired, if you're a stay-at-home parent, if you're any of those things, those things are really just the context, the environment that God has placed you in to do your full-time ministry. So whatever your occupation is, is really the environment that God has placed you in to do your full-time ministry. I believe it means that as important as the role of pastor and minister is in a church, like the official role, right, that all the pastors and ministers and priests of the world cannot actually reach the whole world by themselves. And that was never part of God's plan. 
I don't think his rescue plan for all of us was just a, several thousand, I don't know, men and women. His plan for us is we together, a priesthood. We together, a priesthood. Each of us uniquely created, no two of us exactly alike, given a unique set of gifts, empowered by the Holy Spirit, put in a body of believers, all of that so that we can partner with God and Jesus to go into any kind of place to partner with what he's doing. Any kind of place. Because who we each are differently gives us access to places that others of us would never have access to. We together, a priesthood, are God's plan. And the other thing I think this means is that we cannot disqualify ourselves. Now, this is something I am very good at. I am very good at disqualifying myself. It's a, is it a skill, a talent? I don't know, <laughs> but I'm good at it. You know, things like, I'm, I'm not bold enough. I'm not, like, gregarious enough or outgoing enough. I'm not tough enough or loud enough. Not young enough. That was for a while. Now maybe it's I'm too middle-aged, not right-aged enough. I don't know. <laughs> and for some of us, you have your own enoughs, right? It's that you're not healthy enough or not financially stable enough or whatever your not enough is that you can come up with, you cannot disqualify yourself with your not enoughs because this is who you already are. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So in the vineyard, we have this classic saying that everyone gets to play. If you've been around at all, you've heard it. So I'm relying on the older folks. And older, I just mean the length of time you've been here. <laughs> what does this mean? We all take a part. Mm -hmm. take a part. Mm -hmm. What else? That's right. That's great. Good job, Emily. Um, it's, it's this, that we are all the, the full-time ministers, that everyone gets to play. Now, when this was birthed, this phrase and this knowing, this was a really radical concept. It was something very new. Because people's understanding is that you had to be, have a certain degree, right? Or you had to be ordained in a certain way, or you had to go through a certain sets of trainings or whatever in order to participate in the ministry of God. It became very limited, so when this began to be teached, it was relatively radical and very uncomfortable people. And I think it is still a radical concept, but as I was praying this week, I just really felt like God saying that it's time for this to go a little deeper, which feels very like odd because I don't really like to change things that have already been around. Also feels presumptuous. I don't know. But I felt like God said it, that um, he wants to upgrade us with our concept of everyone gets to play. And this is what he told me. Everyone needs to play. 
I believe that everyone needs to play because every one of you needs to minister to every one of us. I need all of you to minister to me, to remind me of who God is, to remind me of who I am. And every one of you in this room and watching online needs the people around you to remind you of who you are and who God is. And I believe that every one of you needs to play because it's how God is going to actually show you who your truest self is. There's some dynamic that he likes to do that it's not until you actively start stepping out and risking and loving and doing what he's inviting you to do that it's in those environments you begin to discover who you really are, who your truest self is. And then in the midst of that, you begin to uncover in deeper and deeper ways who God really is, how beautiful he is, how magnificent Jesus is, how present he always is. And I believe every one of you needs to play because the world, the people you encounter in your daily life, in the life you're already living right now, need to experience, need to encounter the goodness of God as he is revealed in Jesus in you. The way Jesus is revealed specifically in you is intended for the people around you. Everyone needs to play. No one else can be you. No one else can fill your role. No one else can do what God has set way in advance of your existence, your plans. No one else can live them out. So I am not able to change anyone's mind. I am not able to change a heart. Um, and I know that from my own, my own experience, because lots of people try to change my mind and heart about things, and I just wouldn't. Usually that leads me into digging in my heels, um, I become very resistant, <laughs> resistant, but I know that God can because he has in me. I did not believe most of what I'm talking about here 15, 20 years ago, but I know in like my depths of my being, I would say even in my spine, that this is true. And I'm getting better slowly but surely at walking it out. It's a process. Each of you are on your own spots in that process. And so I feel like what God wants me to do with the time now, um, yeah, is uh, I had a few things up in the air. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm not going to tell you till you get there. <laughs> he's so playful. Um, so I'm going to just say the invitation that we're going to do is to choose to play. And when I say choose to play, I mean participate in the little thing we're going to do right now, a little exercise that we're going to do right now. So before I even start, I would just ask you to just right now choose to play. Choose to allow God to... So what I want the rest of you to do is I want you to... I'm gonna, you don't have to do it quite yet. I'm going to have you close your eyes, and I'm going to read the verse over out loud to you, and I'm going to do it a couple of times, and I'm going to do it kind of slow... And what I want you to be doing while I am reading it, with your eyes closed, just notice what happens in your body or in your mind or in your heart as I'm reading it to you. Is there a certain phrase that stands out? 
Is there a certain place where you kind of feel like your heart starts beating a little faster? Or maybe your stomach even kind of knots up. Anything that you notice, just want, to pay, want you to be paying attention to. Because what I believe is that that's God trying to communicate to you, where he's at work with you and what he wants to say to you this morning. Does that make sense? Okay. So you all go ahead and close your eyes. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Lord, the things that you're touching on right now, Do more. Use this time, Father, as we worship you to continue to just speak into our hearts the reality of our giftedness. that we are a royal priesthood and that we are your special possession.